following is a production of Government CIO Media. Hi, and welcome to GovCast. I'm Camille Tutti, Editor-in-Chief of Government CIO Media. And I'm Amanda Ziedet, Reporter with Government CIO Media. Today, Amanda and I are in studio, and we're super excited to interview Hai An Song, the Senior Vice President and General Manager of Security Markets at Splunk. I'm really excited to learn about how, you know, a young girl in China who watches a documentary about being an astronaut in the moon landing comes to America, picks up database security, and becomes one of the top 50 most powerful women in technology two years in a row. I'm also really excited to ask about how it is to be a tech leader in this space and some of the advice she has for up-and-coming professionals when it comes to pursuing a career in either technology or security. Yeah, it must have been really intimidating coming from a different country and not only being a minority in the country, but a minority in the field as a woman in general. What I also want to know is how did she end up at Splunk? And Amanda, do you know what Splunk means? have no idea what Splunk means or how it pertains to security. I guess we'll find out in this interview. Thank you for joining us here in the studio. I read that your childhood dream was to be an astronaut and that has kind of shaped your desire to break barriers and be a leader throughout your career. So can you talk a little bit more about that? How did it lead you into the tech world? Well, that definitely goes back for many years. My astronaut inspiration actually came from watching a documentary about moon landing and just watching humans go into outer space and were floating around. That just got me. I was like, wow, that's what I want to do. And what is going to take? What are the technologies? What are the things to make that happen? So I ended up going to Tsinghua University, which is one of the top engineering schools. Over there, going into computer science was actually not because I know what computer science is all about. My dad in the 80s actually spent some time in the U.S. as a visiting scholar. He has seen what technology can do in terms of advancing what humans can do. And he encouraged me to say, you should go into computer science. And I followed his advice and really learned that coming from China, there used to be a lot of fairy tales of people flying and going to the moon. That's more from the folklore. But to see that happen, and that gave me a lot of motivation to learn what it's going to take to do that. Where did you go after college then? What was the next step? Oh, the next step is actually I came to the United States. This is in the late 1980s when China just opened up. And I remember the first time sitting down in a computer lab and actually get to use some of the technology like Lotus went to three. I'm probably dating myself. But just knowing that all the things people used to do on paper, that you can do it so easily on a computer, it's really a breakthrough for me to say what is technology can do for humans. So I studied in computer engineering, and then my advisor had two research projects. He said, well, you have two research projects. You can choose to specialize in distributed systems, or I have database security. So I was, you know, young, and I said, well, distributed system sounds really complicated. I'll take database security. So I got into security, and that's definitely very complicated, too. 
So you just fell into security. I like fell that. into security, <laughs> but I loved it. So how was the culture back then being a woman in technology? In many ways, I think I'll talk about from two angles. I mentioned Tsinghua University. When I entered school, Tsinghua has probably less than 10% of the students' body are women. But I was very fortunate. I actually gave a speech this year at Tsinghua University on reunion. I basically thanked the school. I thanked the teachers. I thanked for the system. I never felt that they have treated the female students or male students differently in terms of growth and opportunities. So I actually developed almost like a naive concept that whether you're being a human or not should not matter. So coming to U.S. with that confidence, I think helped me a great deal. Was there anything that you experienced coming to America that really kind of made it clear that you were a minority in this industry and as a foreigner trying to pave her way in this industry? Along the way, many, many moments. But I think the one that was really profound for me, you know, after years of become a VP of engineering and work for a company that was founded by some of the very famous VCs in the Silicon Valley. I remember the VC usually run sort of annual events, you know, bring the same functional leaders together. And in my case, the VP of engineering, I remember walking into that room and I was literally the only woman of VP engineering in the room. And I felt a little intimidated at the very beginning. But, you know, once you get into the topics, I think that's the beauty of Silicon Valley and, and the U.S. in many ways. It's the merits that you bring. It's the value you bring to the conversation that gets people's attention, not so much your gender. But this is probably 15 or so years ago. I do remember that moment very well. What other kind of barriers did you face getting to where you are today? And do those kinds of experiences still happen? You know, I sometimes go back. I talked about the naive confidence I had coming from that upbringing. I think there was a moment probably 10 or so years ago when I realized that not everybody had that luxury of being brought up in an environment that you are being treated totally equally, and that the gender is not the base they make decisions. So I think I start to be more aware, I start to pay more attention. And one of the changes that sort of made me to think differently, act differently, is to say, realizing not everybody had that upbringing, I need to be more supportive and more aware, and actually reach out and try to help people who come from that background, be the minority, either because gender or ethnic groups, or just like their background. That was a big pivotal point for me as a leader to say what I need to do, what is my responsibility and obligation to help, because that does exist still along the way, whether it's intentional or it's just the natural bias people I grew up to have. What are some of your best advice for someone who wants to get into your industry, especially young professionals, what are some of the best tips that you could give them when it comes to paving a way and navigating your career in this industry? I think the number one advice I always say, you got to follow your passion. If you have passion for something, you would be very motivated to overcome whether it's obstacles coming from people's biases or difficulties. That's very important. 
Don't do something people just say you should. Do something that you understand and you feel passionate about. But do take advices and explore, right? So I would say number two, as a woman, probably as a young woman coming into an industry that is probably dominated by male, the one important thing is to really have that confidence. Be comfortable in your skin, wherever your background is, whatever you bring to the table. I believe confidence it's contagious. And if you're confident, if you contribute with what you bring to the table, that actually goes across in such a way people get inspired by your confidence. People open up because they feel like you know what you're talking about, and they'll be willing to listen. And that goes on a very positive iteration, if you will. So be very comfortable in your skin. But I think a third one, maybe that's all related. Really develop that curiosity for life. If you continue to better yourself, no matter what you do, where you go, you will continue to bring value and bring confidence to what you do. How did these three components you just mentioned bring you to Splunk, and how has your experience there, you think, led you to become a tech leader in the industry? That's a great question. So I loved security, even though I stumbled on it. And I loved security because it brings several interesting things to the table and requires several of the things that I have passionate for. Security is not about just here's a formula and just go do repetitive things. Security is one of the areas that the threat that we're facing continue to evolve. You have to continue to learn and to be good at your game. And so that gives me motivation, gives me excitement. Uh, so that's the passion. And be comfortable in your skin. Sometimes it's actually interesting. You're in the industry, you're the minority, and you bring a very unique perspective. And you even bring an interesting chemistry to a room because people actually love to have a diverse discussion and the diverse perspective bring more value to a decision-making process and to understanding of a situation. So I think those three place really strongly to be great at cybersecurity. And Splunk, in many ways that I've known, the founders have known the leadership for years, and we are a small community you know, in the security side in Silicon Valley. I've always really admired the culture Splunk had. So when this opportunity presented itself, and I was literally going to be the first person coming in to build out the security market group. So they give me a platform, which is a great platform community Splunk has, but almost like an entrepreneur opportunity to come and build out a great business on the foundation the company has built, but there's so many new things I can go innovate and do. That was a great opportunity that I can pour my passion, my experience, and my love for the people and team and technology. Talk a little bit about the name. People ask me, Splunk, that's an interesting name. It actually came from the word Splunking, which means underground cave exploration. So. The founders of a company, I'll just go back a little bit on history, they used to run big data centers. And when something goes wrong in a big data center, sometimes it's the database, sometimes it's the network, sometimes it's the web server. 
So it's very hard to pinpoint very quickly which part started this trouble. So they realize that if they can get all the logs from all the different components and layers that build out the data center and make sense out of them and correlate, you know, some of the events, they can get to the root cause really quickly. You know, logs is not like reading an article. They're like bits and things that people don't understand. So it's like really exploring in a dark cave. So I think that's how the name was born. So how does the origin of Splunk's name, the underground cave exploration, how does that connect to what Splunk does today in terms of security? Oh, I'd love to talk about that. So Splunk started in the IT industry as a Google for IT. And it's actually the customers who sort of inspired us to get into security. When I think about that journey, I go back to just like humans have DNAs, you know, our DNA sort of determines what we're great at and what end up doing. And the DNA of the founders building a technology to really understand all the machine data and and what it can tell us about root causes. It's so conducive when you think about breach analysis, when you think about people need to go investigate what exactly happened, how did the breach sort of happen and where did it come from? And I think that DNA in Splunk technology is really the foundation for us to get into the security industry and provide the very unique capabilities that the founders probably wasn't even thinking about providing. And that's really exciting for me. In addition to the cool office spaces, what else do you love about working at Splunk? It has to come to talk about the people. You know, you spend so many hours, waking hours with them, and they're fun, they're passionate, and they're inspiring, they're creative. Aside from that, I think we also have a very cool culture. Camille, you visited our offices. You saw we have sleeping pods in case you, you know, did an all-nighter. You can just go and hide away. And we have human-sized Legos. And if you just want to go cool off your hills after a big debate, there's places you can do that. And great view. And if you just want to go and, and have a sense of what Silicon Valley looks like, you can come and do that. I can go on and on, but it's just a place you go there and you can be very intense, you can be very relaxed, and it's all about bring the best of people. What's your day-to-day look like at Splunk? There's several patterns. There are days that we are really just planning out and strategizing what's happening in industry. What do we need to do next? You know, lately we just acquired a company called Fintan Cyber. And those type of decisions come from or strategy planning sessions and or sessions where my leadership come together and say, hey, guys, what's going on in the industry? What is our customer telling us? So what do we need to do? What is the thing that we're doing the next couple of quarters? What we think in the next two to three years the industry going to look like? Those are some of my favorite sessions to do. And then there's other days, it's really you get down to the basics to say, hey, what are we doing? What's How are we doing the next release? Are we going to release on time? Are we testing with customers? Something very centralized around product. And of course, Splunk success came from the success that of our customers. So there are a good amount of days that we will be hosting customers and sharing and listening to them. So we have a facility where we host customer visits. And those are some of my favorite things to do. 
there's other days I'm not in the office. I'm flying all over the globe to go and see our customers and spend time with partners because it's very, very important for us to stay in touch with what's most important to us is our customer success. You mentioned looking at how the industry will look like in a few years. What are some of the emerging trends you're seeing right now that may be important a few years down the road? Since I come from this Blanc background, I certainly have a natural tendency to focus on what's happening in the world of big data, machine data. And uh, more and more enterprise agencies are really sort of going into the cloud, digitizing everything they do. So I think that trend will continue and the data will continue to grow and explode in many ways. And a lot of that going to be machine data as well. So the numbers I heard is machine data going to grow 50x times faster than probably what human would generate. So that's one thing. And what does that do to sort of what we do? I think the beauty of having more data is if you want to apply technologies like machine learning and AI, I think Amanda, I remember you wrote some articles around that, is to really get the value out of those technology, you need to start with a very high quality data. And that can really give you, you know, the insights and the better decisions or mechanism for you. So I think that's a big trend. It's data would help fuel a lot of the technology growth in those areas. And we need those because we need the machine speed to decide to respond. And then we also need a mechanism to really automate a lot of the things. And that's one of the reasons we went and acquired a company called Phantom Cyber. And it's all about automating orchestrating security responses. And we also believe that security orchestration and automation would go beyond just security technology because for us to remediate certain things, you really need to orchestrate, automate the entire IT process as well. So super excited about that. We're still just at the very beginning of the adoption of technology, just like autonomous cars. People love that, but we're still very, very early. And we think that's just automation and AI and ML going to be the technology everybody will look up to to help us solve a lot of problems. So I'm probably the most excited about autonomous cars. I really, really want one. But I wanted to go back to what you said about machine learning and AI. How do those trends affect you and the work that you're doing? Because you must always keep an eye towards those emerging trends and what's happening in the technology sphere. There's several things where really sort of brings the excitement also brings the challenge, right? What brings the excitement is because the availability of data, because the availability of the digital imprints of what enterprise, what agency, what people do, that make it possible for those technology to be applied and to get additional insights to better your decision-making process. But it also brings challenges because whenever a new technology gets adopted, it's not just about technology. Sometimes it's about people because so people would have questions, say, what does that do to all the security professionals? Are you going to use the technology to replace them? And I always tell them, I say, if you look at some of the numbers, people talk about the skill gap 
we have in cybersecurity just in the U.S. And that number of job openings they couldn't find people to fill is about a million. And that number is forecast to go probably to more than three million in a couple of years. So I don't think the danger is about replacing human. The danger is actually it's using technology to fill the gap, automate some of the repetitive and mundane jobs so the human skills can be elevated, the human's needs can be elevated, and the human can go focus on things that require the human intelligence that by far still very hard to really codify into algorithms or machine learning techniques. So that's sort of what I think we all need to do in the industry is not only bring in the new technology, but also pay attention. How do we continue to elevate the human skills so they get to do things they're most excited about? They get to do things machine couldn't do. We know that the private sector is a little bit more advanced in adopting these new technologies and building them, creating them than the public sector. Do you help the government in any way with advice or strategies and and ways to adopt these kinds of technologies and prepare the foundation in terms of building a strong database to enhance machine learning and AI and, and what we're talking about? That's why I'm actually in D.C. and I come here quite often. We have a lot of federal agency customers. And this one thing I may just disagree with you a little bit. When it comes to cybersecurity, I actually think the public sector, especially the DOD side, has a lot more advanced technology than they're willing to share, of course. But we actually benefited from having people who have worked in the DOD environment coming to Splunk and really give us a lot of the insights and what are some of the things that we should build out to help the government continue to advance their cybersecurity and vice versa. And now some of them actually are going back to the government and taking a lot of the things that they've learned in Silicon Valley about innovation, about how technology ecosystem work together and bring that insights back to the government. I feel we're really sort of benefited from that cross-pollination and we're so happy to be able to contribute to that. And we want to continue to really build that partnership and that can really help the whole industry, whether it's public sector or private sector. It takes a village, it's a team sport. On behalf of Camille and myself, thank you so much for joining us in the studio today. Thank you for having me. I had so much fun. It was also wonderful to have two of the ladies sitting with me and talk about cybersecurity. I look forward to more opportunities to do this. This episode is sponsored by Lumina. Lumina's mission is to use AI systems to protect the world. To learn more about the company, visit its website at luminaanalytics.com. What a great interview. I learned so much about Hyann herself and how she became a member of Splunk and a, a top tech leader in our industry. I thought that the most interesting advice she had was to follow your passion. I know that a lot of young professionals are struggling with that when it comes to navigating their career path. And I think having confidence, every young person entering the career force in any industry probably 
lacked some confidence. I know I did. So it's good to remember and it's good to hear how that can lead to such success as it did for her. And it's cool that she came all the way from San Francisco. We'll have guests from all over the country. So we're super excited that someone actually hopped on a plane and decided to join us on this episode of the GovCast. I'm Camille Tutti. And I'm Amanda Ziede. Thank you so much for listening to GovCast. See you next time. GovCast is a production of Government CIO Media. It's produced by Tracy Madigan and edited by Rob Ford. Our theme music is provided by Big Hoax. Our executive producer is Michael Hoffman. If you're interested in sponsoring GovCast, you can email Andy Andrews at randrews at governmentcio.com. Governmentcio.com.